We thank our worship teams as they take time during the week to practice and to prepare to choose songs. We're blessed to have these men and women uh, help lead us in that. And if you haven't said thank you lately, I would encourage you to say simply thank you. We're starting a new series because we finished one. Uh, We finished one, our last one in Galatians. One person laughed at that one, so it's going to be a rough morning. Uh, We finished Galatians last week, just taking a look at uh, what the gospel is, essentially. Uh, What is is the thing that saves us? And we'll be entering into a new series, a a short one, talking about the marks of a healthy church. Uh, We took uh, some, we bought some books the other day that hopefully, I think, line up with every uh, sermon that we'll be looking at uh, over the next few weeks. They're in the library, so if you want to take them out, you're more than willing to. I don't, actually, I, I shouldn't say they're there right now. They are, okay. They're right there on the table. Uh, so if you wanted to sign them out, that'd be great, um, because they probably say things better than I could. So I'll admit it. Let's open up in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for today. Thank you for the chance we have to just come and worship you. Uh, Lord, I know that sometimes we come here and we don't necessarily really want to be here. Our hearts are preoccupied with other things on our minds. Lord, I just pray that you would remind us of who you are. I pray that you would... Uh, remind us of your grace and your mercy, the hope that we have in, your, in you. Because as we were just taking time to remember, you stepped down from your throne to die for a rebellious people like us. So that anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior will be, not might be, will be saved. Lord, I pray that we would live in light of who you are and what you call us to be. So, Lord, as we look at this sermon, as we take this time, Lord, I pray that you are indeed glorified. I want to speak of you and praise you and praise your name. Lord, there's no amount of gifting that can make this turn out well outside of you. So, Lord, I pray by your spirit that you would help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and appropriate affection. Use this sermon, Lord, for your glory for the glory of your name, for the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. And amen. So for the next few weeks, we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different in terms of preaching, something that I'm not necessarily comfortable doing, but it's something called topical preaching, which is not what I do. So we're going to work on this together, right? So, But I think sometimes every once in a while we need to take a break and just look at a specific subject. And we're going to be taking a look at specific subjects. Uh, What does the Bible essentially say are the marks of a healthy church? I think in our society, in our world, um, we have all sorts of different opinions on what a healthy church is. But quite frankly, if we are God's family, he already has an opinion on what a healthy church looks like. And we're going to look at what the Bible says is a healthy church. Now, there's outcomes of that, obviously, right? There's, there's an outcome. We start, the Holy Spirit works on the inside, as we looked at last week. And, and what is inside does come out eventually. But God does say that there is 
marks of a healthy church. And we're going to be taking some time to go through nine of them. It's not an exhaustive list, okay? So don't come to me and say, well, how about this? Well, that is one. Keep thinking about it. Uh, So we'll be doing that over the next few weeks. A few years ago, I was taking a certificate, uh, part of my master's degree on preaching, on biblical preaching, it was called. Graduate Certificate of Biblical Preaching. And for each class, I had this assignment. I had multiple assignments. I had to preach in front of a bunch of pastors, which is like the scariest thing in the world. Uh, You know, there are people who are far smarter than I will ever be in that room. And you're preaching your sermon, and you have to do it in 20 minutes, and you have a clock. And you have to do it. And and if you ran out of time, you you had to stop, like midpoint. Um, I never had that problem. Uh, but, um, you know, so we would have to preach one sermon in class and then three sermons to our church, which makes sense because we're all pastors. And so we're sitting there preaching. And I can't remember exactly what the, the class was about, what we were having to preach on, but I distinctly remember this. I felt that the church needed to hear something. They had to hear what I had to say. There was an idea in my head that the church needed to hear this. So I went and I opened my Bible and I looked for that topic. And okay, there, there's the verse. That's what we're going to preach on. And I remember even as I was preaching, I was going through this process of of breaking down the passage and going, oh, I don't know if my idea is really going to line up with this text, but I was like, oh, who cares? I'm going for it. Because the church needs to hear what I have to say. So I wrote this sermon. I thought it was good. Got up there at the pulpit, preached it, thought it was good, left it. Then my professor, who listened or watched all of our sermons, sends me my evaluation. Let me tell you, you're not a man until you've been slapped by this individual, and that's what happened. I, I got ripped apart. I got torn apart. And, and luckily, there was a technical difficulty at the end, so he didn't hear my concluding thoughts. Uh, but he did make that note. If there was a concluding thought, if you did not go to this, you would have failed. So I didn't fail, but I did uh, not do too well. And I kept sitting there. I was like, well, what's your problem? Like, why are you so crusty? Like, you know, this is what the church had to hear. This is, this is important. It wasn't that it wasn't in the Bible. It wasn't going up there preaching some sort of false gospel or heresy. But what was your problem? See, sometimes the pastor or the preacher gets into this mentality that we have a greater understanding of what God has to say than what God has to say. And that's what happened to me as I was preaching this sermon. But why does it matter so much as we're looking at this? Why is this the ser- first sermon that I'm going to preach on this subject of a marks of a healthy church? Because whatever you hear from this pulpit influences you. It influences everything else. We're going to be talking about other things like biblical theology. And if I don't have a, and I know it's a big word, but that's why Matt's going to preach it. And... Uh, <laughs> We're going to look at that, but if I don't even come to the text with a proper understanding of what God is and who God is and that this is his authoritative word, then everything falls apart. Literally everything. 
So preaching is a very foundational thing. So we're going to talk about it for the next few minutes. We're going to talk about this crazy thing called expositional preaching. And you're all going, what is that? And I'm going to talk to you about it. And we're going to talk about why it's important. Why it's not, it's a primary of importance that the diet that we receive, both for myself and for you, is not topical, but expository preaching. Expository preaching is simply this. You're asking yourself, what is it? It's this. An expository sermon may be defined as a message that shows the structure and thought that comes from the biblical text itself. What a concept, right? It's coming to the text and saying, these are my points. They're God's points. He's already set my points. I'm going to preach those points. What is the message I'm going to preach? What's that big idea I'm going to preach? It's God's message. It's God's big idea. It's God's points, not mine. It covers the whole scope of the text that explains the futures and the context of that, that specific text in order to show the enduring principles of faithful thinking, living, and worship that is intended by God himself, who inspired the texts. So we see a great example of this in Nehemiah 8, verses 1 to 8, and I'm not going to read it all because there's names in there that I can't pronounce, and I tried. I have, I have really poor, I, I can't pronounce a lot of things. And it says this in verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into a square. They gathered. For the, uh, before the water gate, as it says in verse 1. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, one on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gates. And from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. On a side note, did you notice the time period in which he stood and preached? I don't want to hear any complaining. <laughs> early morning until midday. As we continue on here. And Ezra the scribe stood on the wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. And we continue on. Verse 7. <laughs> Sorry, not verse 7. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people in verse 5. For he was above all the people, and he, as he opened it all, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In verse 7, halfway through, the Levites, and this is the key verse here, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. See, expository preaching is, is really explained in that last verse there. What were the Levites doing? They were taking time to explain what the word of God said. 
They didn't come with their mentality of what the people needed to hear. They came with the word of God and they explained it. Because that's what the people of God need to hear. They don't need to hear what I have to say. I don't know anything. They need to hear what God has to say. Charles Simeon said it this way, I have a great jealousy on this head, never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the Spirit in the passage I am expounding. We are not free to do what we want with the Bible. It is sovereign. It must win, always. Imagine this. I have a bit of a pet peeve. One of many. Imagine this, though. I don't know if you've ever had this problem, but you say something. You think you've thought it through. You think like, this is as clear as I could possibly be. And you say it to someone. Teachers get this all the time. And they say this. You say it to the person, and they come back. They reiterate the words that you think you said. And you're like, that is not even close to what I just said to you. So you say it again. And then they come back and they say something completely different. It's, it's like this. Imagine if you were to write a love letter. Maybe it's a letter expressing your love to your soon-to-be spouse. You're pouring out your heart. You're revealing your inner thoughts. You're bearing your soul. And then your future spouse reads it and comes back with the response of, yeah, I agree, we should go out for dinner. <laughs> right? That's not what you wrote. It's completely different. Not that you wouldn't love to go out to dinner with your future spouse, but that's not what you were expressing, what you were writing. You didn't even talk about dinner in that letter. Your future spouse completely missed the points of that letter and had to end the intention of that letter. See, you were the author. You had an original message that you were communicating. It was one of my greatest pet peeves in English class when we had to take the poetry out and we had to figure out what, like, we had to interpret the poetry. And even then in high school, I'm going, what does the author care about how I think the, this poem says? He, he wrote it. He had an original intent. He had an original message. And he's, as cryptic as it might have been, he's trying to get us to understand what it's there. See, I'm not the author of the Bible. God has a point. So expository preaching is simply this. It's preaching the main point of the text. Preaching expositionally seeks to see what God has to say rather than coming to the text with what I want it to say. See, I remember another time, this is again in college, I was in my second year, which means I was a little bit more... Uh, wiser, a little bit, not much. Um, and I had already heard about this professor, so I already knew what was coming. But it was a freshman course. And I'm sitting there, and people, uh, he just, he opened, this is how he opens the class. He starts tearing apart people's life verses. Like, he's just tearing them apart. Because people had taken verses, they kind of like, oh, that's a great verse, that applies to me, but they had missed the context, the original message, the original intent of that verse. So they were applying it to their life in a way that was never intended for it to be applied to. Poor people were crying. 
I remember he had to get up there and he, he, he apologized in the next class. Kind of, not really. <laughs> the point is this. When we approach the word of God, we need to understand that it's his word, not mine. It's not yours. Preaching expositionally seeks to see what God has to say rather than coming to the text with what I want it to say. See, it's important. And why do we do it? If I don't preach expositionally, I will never preach more than I already know. And I don't know squat. I guess I know a little bit. I can, I can take a text and exhort you on a topic, but never really teach the main point of that passage. You can take your Bible right now and open it up, pray for guidance, and put your finger down on the passage on the page and read that verse randomly and get a great blessing from it. But you won't understand what God means to say through it until you understand what the phrases and the context are. If you want to understand what the text means, you got to read around it. When we preach expositionally, we set out to see what God has to say in the text rather than what you already know. We want to be a church full of disciples who are making disciples of Jesus Christ, don't we? We want to be faithful to what God has called us to be. And if the only thing we ever teach is what we already know, then how are we teaching people to grow in Christ? Not stretching them a little bit. So you can't do that if we're only ever hearing things that I already know. We need to grow. So why do we preach? It presents the power of the word of God. God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish through speaking. We see this in this wonderful passage in Ezekiel 37 in verses 1 to 14. This is the vision of the dry bones. It's a popular passage. We all, if you grew up in the church, you've read it. And this vision in Ezekiel's third in, in this book is one of the most famous passages in, in Ezekiel. Well, it stands on its own as a powerful statement of God's power to recreate the community. The context is very important. See, in chapter 36, we see the promised gift of a new heart and a new spirit. But it still left a lot of questions in our heads, in our minds. How can this be? How could God restore what was dead? In chapter 37, the answer begins to happen. The vision itself is reported in verses 1 to 10 with vivid power. The landscape, think about this, the landscape that Ezekiel is seeing here is, is littered, is filled with bleached bones. Not like recently dead people, but they've been dead for so long that their bones are white. There's no ability at all to resuscitate dry bones. They're dry. They're lifeless. So the landscape is filled with these bleached bones to which Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy. Imagine that, being the pastor. Right? And God comes along and he says, hey, you see that valley? All the dead people? Go stand up there and preach your best sermon. That's Ezekiel's feeling right now. 
It's a valley of dry bones. As he does, the bones are restored to life, though. The vision receives a double interpretation in verses 11 to 14. The primary meaning relates directly to the exiles here of despair. We need to understand what causes these dry bones to come to life again. So the question, can these bones live? Can they live? It's a rhetorical question, though. Because for me, I know that I can't make them live. Ezekiel's response leaves the outcome in God's sovereignty. God commands Ezekiel to do what seems pointless, to prophesy, to preach over these dry bones, and includes the promise that he will perform the impossible. God will bring them back to life again. The key to resuscitation is stated in verse 5. The same word in this verse is used for the spirit. God will send his spirit through the preaching of his word. The first phrase is prophesying results in the rebuilt bodies which lack breath. So far, this activity only yields corpses with skin. But it's still a necessary first step. The second phase in verses 9 to 10 of the prophecy is addressed to the breath or the wind or the spirit which can take all which God sends. The coming of the wind, the breath, the spirit that gives life powerful alludes to God's creative work that we see all the way in Genesis 2, verse 7. What is going to bring this dry bones to life again? It's God's word. God's word is what brings us, brings life into what is dead. So in verse 14, we see this. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. When we hear testimonies of God working in people's life, we're hearing the stories of God bringing life into dry bones. And it only happens through his word. So why do we preach this way? Why do we preach expositionally, making sure that the point is the main point? Biblical exposition binds the preacher and the people to the only source of spiritual change. Because hearts are transformed when people are confronted with the word of God. We preach this way because we are committed to saying what God has to say. So the preacher opens his Bible before God's people and he dares to say, I will explain to you what this passage means. The words are not meant to show my authority, but humble confession that I have no better words than what God has to say. So preaching expositionally seeks to see what God has to say rather than coming to the text with what I wanted to say because the word of God has power. It has power. And not only does it has power, but it also has authority. We got this thing in our world. Our kids say it all the time. Who has the right to tell me what to do? I say it all the time. You can't tell me what to do. I don't care how old you are. Everyone says it. 
Preaching addresses our constant need for authority and meaning. There's always this question in our world, who has the right to tell me what to do? Or who can tell me that? God's word is authority. Without an ultimate authority for truth, all human striving has no ultimate value, and life itself becomes meaningless. We see this with Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. He says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it was, uh, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The Bible says that God has spoken in his word. It's a preacher's task to communicate what God committed to the Bible in order to give God's people his truth for their time. So the simple question is this, who has the right to tell you what to do? God. And he's told you in his word. Without the authority of God's word, preaching becomes this endless searching for topics. Therapies and techniques that will win approval, promote acceptance, advance a cause, and soothe the worry. When we approach the word of God as God's word, suddenly the questions about what I have a right to suddenly fade away. God can tell his people what they should believe and what they should do. Should he not be able to? And as a preacher, I have no right to say anything other than what God has already said. So we preach expositionally because it seeks to see what God has to say rather than coming to the text with what I wanted to say because I have no authority outside of God's word. It also presents the work of the Holy Spirit. See, when we proclaim the Bible, we bring the work of the Holy Spirit to bear in one another's lives. There's no truth out there that gives more encouragement for God to work. The work of the Holy Spirit is tied to the preaching like heat is from a light bulb. When we present the lights of God's word, that his spirit perform. His purposes of warming and melting and conforming the hearts to his will. We see that again in Ezekiel 37. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Preaching expositionally teaches or seeks to see what God has to say rather than what I have to say. Because it's how the Holy Spirit works. See, if I truly believe, as Romans 1.16 says, that the gospel is the power of salvation, how dare I proclaim anything else? The Bible has many other examples. We see it in Deuteronomy 3.33, verse 10, where the Levite priest taught the law. Deuteronomy says this, They, the Levites, shall teach Jacob your rules, and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you, and the whole burnt offerings on the altar. We see Paul, Peter and the apostles expounding scripture uh, and urging their hearers to respond with repentance. We see this in Acts 2. 
And here's the one that really gets me. Not only do we preach this way because God's word has the power to bring the life in, into what was dead, not only do I preach this way because it's God's word that only has authority, not only do I preach this way because it's how the Holy Spirit works and brings life to, uh, life to what is dead, the Bible condemns me if I don't. There's always two sides, right? God calls us to repent and to believe. Because there's an outcome if we don't. Jeremiah 23, verse 16. I've been reading through this. I came into... I'm going to tell the story. Uh, I came into Matt's office yesterday. I was just so dumbfounded with this. I've been studying Jeremiah and reading it on my own for my personal devotions. And over and over again, God is pouring out judgment upon the prophets who were prophesying not his word. And I mean not like, not like a little slap on the hands, like full on death. So I go into Matt's office while he's preparing for uh, Tuesday's Nexus thing, and I say, hey, man, preach the word. <laughs> he's like, oh, thanks, man. Jeremiah 23, 16 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hope. They speak visions of their own mind, i.e. they're putting words into God's mouth, he says. Not from the mouth of the Lord. He continues on in verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word Or who has paid attention to his word and listens? Verse 21, I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And they would have turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their deeds. I speak this way because God condemns me if I put words into his mouth. And I need to make sure that I'm doing it right. And I'm not saying I get it right. I seek to. There are some days I don't. We see this, that the Bible says God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish through speaking. Genesis 1 verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And what was there? Light. Isaiah 55. I love this passage. I love Isaiah. For as rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprouts, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what, that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In Acts 12, we see this, but the word of God increased and multiplied. What does this mean? This means that if a preacher wants his sermons to be filled with the power of God, they must preach what God says. I pray this every time I preach. I hope you catch that. I seek to get better. 
But regardless of how good I get, without the Spirit of God, nothing lasting will happen. We see it in Hebrews 4, that expositional preaching is important because God's Word is what convicts. It converts, it builds up, and it sanctifies God's people. There's a big difference between God working and people working. I can manipulate people very easily into the kingdom of God. That's not a problem. Give them a guilt trip. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But it's only God's word that convicts, converts, builds up, sanctifies. We see it in Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of our soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, not to perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that you received the word of God which you heard from us. You accepted it not as words of men, but as what it, is, what it really is, the word of God. Preaching that makes the main point of the text, the main point of the sermon, makes God's agenda rule the church, not mine. That's why it's important that you bring your Bibles. Why you should open them up as we're preaching so that you too can also discern through the Holy Spirit, is this right? We need to see this. That if it comes from preaching or teaching or reading of the Bible or taking our, or talking to our neighbor, we have no right to say what we want. We seek to be faithful to what God has said because it's perfect. It's good. And it starts with how the preacher handles the word of God. This is why it's important. This is why we're starting with the first series. So preaching expositionally seeks to see what God has to say, seeks to say what God has to say, rather than coming to the text with what I wanted to say. What do I have to add to the word of God? So here, back to my illustration, my professor tearing me apart. I'm so like, I'm just exposing my heart here. It's so good. No, I'm joking. That was prideful. Here, my professor's words were hard for me to hear. I was kind of in that funk for a while. I even went to another professor and I said, I think he's wrong. And the professor came back to me and said, no, he's right. And I went, But it reminds me of the responsibility and duty we all have to handle the word of God correctly. We don't get to impose our imagination on the text. The text says what the text says. God has spoken, we are to listen. And when we preach expositionally, we seek what God has to say rather than coming to the text with what I wanted to say. So why does this matter to you? You're not the preacher, I am. Well, we're not free to do with the Bible what we want. It's sovereign. It must win all the time. 
Without the authority of God's word, we get trapped, becoming endlessly looking for therapies and techniques to win approval, to promote acceptance, advance a cause, or soothe worry. God becomes what we want him to be rather than how he has revealed himself in his word. See, when I come to this idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm confronted with the holiness of God. That's his primary characteristic. He is holy. I have sinned against a holy God. My due right punishment because of that sin is hell. I don't even get to the but statement if I don't have a proper understanding of the word of God. But Jesus Christ sits down from his throne to pay the price for my sins so that if I believe and repent of my sin, I will have eternal life. Remember the gospel is summed up in the five fingers. Christ died for our sins and rose up again. I need to have a proper understanding of who God is. God becomes what we want him to be rather than how he has revealed himself in his word. And when that happens, we begin to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when hard times come, because they will come, life isn't easy, we can't find an explanation in our understanding of who God is to help us get through those hard times. And then things begin to give way. And we begin to compromise. And very soon, the God that has revealed himself specifically in his word is no longer the God that we believe. If I'm reading the word of God and I'm finding that I'm always in agreement with it, I would challenge you on that. That I'm not being challenged that God's word is not convicting me and, conver- and, and, and building me up and sanctifying me, if God through his word is truly doing that, I must ask myself some questions. Am I, impl- am I imposing what I think the text should say or am I relying upon what God has said? Expositional preaching is important because God's word is what convicts, it converts, it builds up, and it sanctifies. The problem that I was doing when I was preaching that wonderful sermon that I thought was fantastic was I was putting words into God's mouth. I wasn't his mouthpiece. I was being my own mouthpiece, claiming God's authority. You see how bad that is? It's not just for the preachers, it's for the Sunday school teachers. It's for the youth teachers. It's for the deacons. My professor caught onto that, and in my review, well, let's just say that I didn't, it didn't go very well. And like I said, there's that technical difficulty, so you didn't get to hear the end of it, the application. Expositional preaching is important because God's word is what convicts. It's what converts. It's what builds up his church. And it sanctifies. We want to seek to see what God has to say. 
rather than imposing what we want it to say. Because this is God's word. And I love this. It expresses who God is completely and who I am, how much I desperately need to be saved, and that God has offered a way for me to be saved through his son, Jesus Christ. When I start messing around with things, everything starts to fall apart. Preaching expositionally seeks to see what God has to say rather than coming to the text with what I want it to say. It's important. And as we go through this sermon series, we'll be looking at things like evangelism. How does God define what evangelism is? I'm not preaching that sermon, so I'm okay. What does the Bible say it means to be converted? What does that even mean? What does the Bible say about himself? And why is that important? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is marked by our love for your word. I pray that we would lift it up high, that we would have a high view of it, that we would preach and teach the word as you have revealed it to us and not imposing our own thoughts upon it. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored as we continue to worship you in song. Amen.